0: Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com
1: support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to subdeck 3 to
0: begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. What are you
1: waiting for? Breakfast in bed? Another glorious day in the Corps. Day in the Marine Corps is like a day on the farm. Every meal is a banquet. Every paycheck a fortune. Every formation a parade. I love the Corps. Where's Baskin? (sighs) Let's run!
0: Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast. I'm your host, J.M. Prater, and I'm joined by hosts... Patrick Green. And uh, welcome to another entry in our series, 40 Miles of Bad Road. Uh, today, we're here to talk about Ripley. And before we do, I'm going to pass it off to Patrick.
2: Yeah, we got some business to catch up on, guys. Uh, for one thing, we've mentioned this in a couple places, but I don't think we've actually said it on an episode yet. We have officially welcomed Sean Hewitt of New Zealand, a uh, longtime listener, friend of ours, fan of the show who's been a great moderator on Building Better Worlds for a while. He is now part of the creative team as our uh, contributing host slash video lead, and he is in charge of our YouTube content. So you'll be hearing a lot more from him, but I wanted to make sure we we slipped it in there on a 40 Miles of Bad Road episode because we're really excited to have him on board. Yes, Um, Sean is awesome. Another piece of news. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Another piece of news I wanted to touch on is, for those of you who might not know, well, there's two things. Okay, you might not know that we have a social media group. If you don't know that, then fix that and get on it. It's Building Better Worlds. Um, and if you're on Facebook, it's it's very easy to join. Just go to our page, and you, you know it's linked right there. Um, there's a lot of great discussion going on. And the other thing that I want to point out about Building Better Worlds is that we have reached 1,000 members, which is a big milestone for us. And there is a competition being run by our very own Connor Murdoch, who's the admin of that group. And uh, Connor is uh, a a great writer, and um, in the spirit of fandom and in the spirit of celebration, he has put together a uh, a competition. So head to Building building Better Worlds. There is a pretty freaking awesome um, prize available, which is a signed t-shirt. I don't want to say too much about it, but the signatures are very much worth picking up. So if you want a chance to win the t-shirt, head over to Building Better Worlds, enter the contest, there's still time to do it. Um, and, uh, we really would love to see what you contribute and maybe even get to read some of it, you know, on the air with your permission too someday. Yep.
0: that will be awesome.
1: I don't understand this. We have been here for three and a half hours. Now, how many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? All right. So
2: moving right along, we got some listener feedback. Jamie, why don't you take it off? Why don't you take it off? Why don't you kick it it off? Take
0: it off! Take it off, baby! So... Uh this listener feedback were is actually in response to our one-off show about Neil Blomkamp and we felt like we really had to just just address the the elephant in the room. Um there's just kind of been a lot of back and forth. As we said, there was a lot of like uh, Blomkamp will all of a sudden drop some uh art he was working on for the project that is now dead. Um, And we felt like we just really needed to kind of just talk about all of it. The the pros, the cons. And I think it was a really, really good conversation. And uh, some of you replied to our video episode on our Facebook page. So I'm going to read the first one. And this first one is by a gentleman named Russell Whitfield. It's a bit of a long one. Great podcast. All the points about Ripley's arc are great. The problem is that from the get-go, Alien 3 is flawed. It invents a couple of facehuggers... All right. There's a sound effect at the end of the alien soundtrack that Cameron said he was just funning with us. The point being, if you haven't shown me how those face eggers got on board, then you're just making shit happen, cause plot. All the fan, all the fanon. Maybe that's probably fandom and fans and canon together. is a word. All the fanon in the world. I
2: think it's. I think it's canon. Yeah, but I, I like the idea of fanon. Me too. Like, fan- that's awesome. We're
0: fan. We're, we're also we're using it. Um, yeah fan all the canon slash fanon in the world doesn't make that happen (laughs) the queen had them bishop put the eggs there all of it or none of it it didn't happen so the entire movie is invalidated before it gets going there were no facehuggers hence there can be no queen impregnation hence ripley's heroic sacrifice doesn't happen the nihilism is the nihilism is take it or leave it i think hand-waving established characters off camera is shitty writing i don't understand that Kill them on the planet. Great. But equally, as you say, the cast about everything being stripped away. I'm sorry. I need to read that again. But equally, as you say in the cast about everything being stripped away, it's a it's a pick I'm Not really uh, picking up on what he's saying right there. But it's a shame. I, I think
2: he's saying I, I think he's saying that um, killing the characters off screen before the movie really gets going. It's kind of an easy out. Yeah. And so I, I think he's saying, uh, you know, that he thinks it's kind of lazy writing.
0: Yeah, could be. Who knows? He goes on to say, Russell goes on to say, it's a shame because as you guys point out, it's the perfect end for her in some ways, but the setup is bollocks. So I think this is what Neil Blomkamp was setting out to do. It looks very much from the concept art that Ripley and probably Hicks won't make it out of this one alive. But the feeling is that he wants to make a movie that actually follows on from aliens and not something that was shoehorned in so we could make another, albeit beautiful, alien movie. A point on The Last Jedi, if I may. I don't hate it because they messed with Luke or anything. Like that, I hate it because because they, they were in such a rush to prove they're out with the old and in with the new philosophy that they left the plot hole. They left plot holes big enough to drive a superstars destroyer through. Like, why were we all those? Why were all those New Order ships just lined up waiting for the Rebel bombers to destroy the dreadnought? Why did Del Toro wait around in jail only to escape with Finn and and Co when, when Finn and Co arrived? If the New Order had hyperspace and the Rebels don't. Why not call in a few star destroyers to cut off their escape? Luckily, they had just drove past a planet that happens to have a rebel base on it though. Why fuck with the continuity? If flying a ship really fa- really fast and something blows it up, why not launch 100 R2 piloted X-wings at the Death Star? Why do you build up a whole thread with Rey, tempted by the dark side only to have her shrug it off and go, "Nah," at the crucial moment? Think about what a better movie would have been if it had been if it had the courage of out with the old and have Rey Join emo bloke talking about Kylo Ren and Mary Poppins Leia. What the fuck? Uh, after that longer than expected rant, I wanted to say that I really did enjoy the cast. I don't agree that it should end with Alien 3 because I think it's flawed from the get go, which is a damn shame because let's face it, aside from the invalid, inv- 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 that's not even a word. Aside from the invalidity That's a
2: that's a word. You're just saying it like uh Invalid
0: Im- invalid it. Invalidity. Invalidity, sorry, yeah, I was not saying that right. Aside from the That's my Aside from the invalid in I can't say that word tonight. Invalidity Invalidity of it and the hand waving, it is the perfect ending. You know, now I'm thinking
2: invalidity is not even a word. I don't know. I'm gonna look this up. I don't think it's invalid. Invalidity it's gotta be a word. I
0: don't We'll see. Uh Patrick anyway, then responds. I,
2: I, well, yeah, we don't have to go through my whole response because I, I responded with a short novel. Yeah, um, so we'll um, just I, I read did, the
0: big ones then. So then, I'll...
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 did, I did want to just address a couple things. First off, the first thing that I, I thanked uh, that I did was thank Russell for such like a a, a kind and well thought out response. Something that I am really happy with um, since this episode has come out and people have been talking about it is how nice everybody is. Like, I feel like everybody's our arguments start with something about like, Hey, I really appreciate what you said. I didn't really think about it from that angle before. Like, I still don't agree with you, but I now better understand where you're coming from. And I think I have a better understanding of where I'm coming from, which is kind of what we're trying to do in general. Um, so I, I respond there. And if anybody wants to, you know, sit down for four hours and read my response, you're more than <laughs> welcome to. But, but <laughs> one of my, the, the, my sort of chief issue is that I think plot the the idea of plot holes has really ballooned over the years, to the point now where anybody calls any missing information a plot hole. You know, yeah. Because we assume that everything is lazy writing if we're not told the reason behind it, and instead of something just happening, because sometimes fate works weirdly, and sometimes things do happen by by circumstance or by chance, and that life happens like that. And a movie also is not a documentary. You know. Sometimes things just come together a certain way for the strength of the narrative. And uh, in a in a major franchise picture like a Star Wars movie or like an alien film, there are holes left that aren't left because the movie's dumb or not thought out correctly. They're left because they're, they're going to be filled in somewhat later or because they'll leave things open to interpretation down the road, you know? Um, but I did, uh, I, I did I, you know, I'm not going to get into the defenses of things, but I, I, I do think that um, it's worth pointing out that there's a difference between a plot hole, which is something that basically... A plot hole is, is something that you have to accept as valid for the story to work, even though it's the opposite of what a valid thing would be. If something is completely impossible, but you have to a- allow it to be the case for the story to work, then it's a plot hole. But if something's just not immediately apparent, or if something seems implausible, or if something seems unlikely, I don't, I don't think it's a plot hole. That's just one thing. Yeah. Anyway, but Russell, again, thank you for being... Um, so thorough with that, and also so kind. I, I really appreciated that, and, and I look forward to hearing your response.
0: Yeah, I think civility is, even if we passionately disagree, civility is a really wonderful thing, and it's nice to kind of see uh, fandom really pivot towards that. So, yeah, thank you so Civility
2: much. and invalidity. 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 I don't think invalidity is a word.
0: Anyways. Well, we're going to find out after this episode. So the next one is from Anton Allen, and Anton says... Agree with the points raised. Mixed emotions about Blomkamp directing/slash heading up this his sequel. However, I trust his narrative vision and aesthetics and atmosphere/slash mood. I highly suspect he has a very gripping core story up his sleeve for the Aliens/slash Aliens Ripley universe. But I don't think he's the man to helm his own movie here. He might only be in possession of a derivative narrative, lame adolescent fanfic grade plot that relies upon the world-building, Sid Mead design aesthetic, and grit James Cameron added via Aliens. I've only liked slash loved a couple of characters from his previous films and none of them were too deep. Let him collaborate with someone who can deliver the rousing, cohesive and satisfying continuation. We all want from this universe and central characters. Someone who can skillfully take chances or deviations from canonical expectations without shitting upon Canon and, or relying on tired tropes, scene for scene, slavish narrative homages and pure eighties fan service writing sad his story hasn't met the light of day, but better he's being permitted to get older slash grow up and improve his writer, let alone director. I I I'm good with that assessment. Um, I think that's very wise. I mean, he's saying, yeah, maybe he gets he has something really gripping, but maybe he needs a little bit of help. I, I think that's completely plausible. Uh, yeah, as do I.
2: But I I just think don't don't recon Alien 3. But I've also talked about that a lot. Yeah.
0: So the last one is uh, I'm reading is by Jared Huff. And it's very short, and he goes, with the success of upcoming Halloween, I think now would be an exciting time to try this avenue again. Maybe add elements of it as well. And I don't know what that even means. Um, well, what do you think it could mean? I, I, that's an interesting thought. Um, I don't really. I mean, it, the book, you know, it, it goes from when these main characters are kids to when they're adults. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't know what else he could... <laughs> I don't know, but I like the idea.
2: Um, um, well, and, and just a couple more quick comments um, from the, the post at Building Better Worlds. Uh, Maziar Beb says, Blomkamp deserves a chance. Love his work. And uh, Misabe Makwa says, So I have an idea. Hear me out, okay? We clone her, however, long later, and have her do nothing. But she has a robot sidekick. <laughs> Which I think that's cinematic gold, Misabe. So thank you. That's hilarious. <laughs> all right, so uh, so thanks guys again. If you want to, you know, get on get in on these conversations, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, you know, send us emails, give us a call. The information's in the show notes. We'd love to get it on the show.
1: God damn it! That's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this this bullshit that you think is so important. You can just kiss all that goodbye.
0: Tonight, we are here to talk about Ellen Ripley. And really, we've, of course, talked about Ripley throughout many shows, referencing her, talking about her as her character, her as a device, her compared to other characters or versions of her that we've seen in, in the prequels. But in this series of Building, I'm sorry, in the series of 40 Miles of Bad Road, we really wanted to talk about the Ripley and aliens and that she became the Ripley we know and love without that Ripley, there wouldn't be the Ripley and alien three um, because she has all of the experience and, and the memories and the journey from her and aliens. But I, I just don't want to talk about her as a character. I also want to address how profound this character is uh, in its genre as being sci-fi. However, she's joined by characters like um, Sarah Connor, um, but Ripley was uh, before Sarah Connor To some degree, although they both had uh, beginnings in the early 80s or late 70s, 79 for Ripley. That was kind of her first iteration. And then I believe Terminator, the first Terminator, was that in 81?
2: Uh, Something like that.
0: Something like that. 83? I don't know. I wasn't Um, alive
2: yet. You weren't alive yet. You young man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i'm spring chicken but,
0: but i really i think that there, there's a cult of following around ripley but i i i really want to discuss and there's a lot going on in our world politically uh in terms of the me too movement and i'm not really mentioning all this to kind of get into that but i, I have a larger point um the you know there's a lot of contention about what things that uh kathleen kennedy who is the ceo of lucasfilm has said the future is female and all of these things some of these things people find as divisive sometimes people will say oh you don't need to make characters girls just to you know make them girls we should make good characters um you know and there's uh, uh two sides of that debate or more than two sides or you know a, a middle ground or whatever but when i read all of that and i you know, I. I'm a part of those conversations and whether it's conversations where people are talking about, uh, say maybe you make a character gay and a lot of, some people get angry, like they make their own characters or whatever. Um, because they feel like you're doing it just to be popular or you're doing it just to be divisive. So they're like, no, don't do it. Um, and so there's a lot of resistance and some people are like, no, that's great. And some people are, a lot of people are like, no, that's not great. Let's leave it alone. And but what I, Love about Ripley is that Ripley, she came into who she is in James Cameron's Aliens, and she is a female heroine that is not ever addressed by gender. When people think of Aliens and they see clips with her, I'm talking fandom, uh, Building Better Worlds, our group, uh, even Wayland Utani Bulletin and other groups, um, and there's quotes by Ripley, there's photos of Ripley everyone's like fuck yeah i mean there's a rallying around this character in a way that i haven't seen in any other genre um and also ripley as a character in these films she's not sexualized in aliens she's not sexualized in alien now of course there's a a moment where she strips down to her underwear in alien but it's not about sexuality it's about her being vulnerable it's nothing to do with sex it's not about being sexy and, uh, and uh, even if you move on to Alien 3, when Ripley's at her most vulnerable, there's a, there's a scene where, um, she's, there's attempted rape on her, but that's kind of the first time that you really realize, oh shit, she's a woman. Not to say that people don't recognize that, but she's such a well-rounded, well-acted character who was about her integrity. No one questions her gender. Not to say that, and what the, the, the miracle issue about that is that oh yeah okay no one's questioning her gender and why that's important because typically in these films men are the leads men have these roles no one questions their their gender because men are typically in the leads a lot of the time in these films that are led by women people do question their gender or they make snide remarks you make a snide remark about ripley in a in a fan group there's hell to pay and uh, i really want to kind of explore why is she so profound? <clears throat>
2: there's a lot to unpack there, Jamie. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I, I want to go all the way back. To, so, Terminator is 1984, okay. by the way, which uh, is also before I was born. I just want to throw that out of there. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> barely, but it was before I was born. So, there's, I think there's a lot going on. I was talking, I had, a, I had drinks with Alex White um, recently, who, of course, wrote.
0: Name dropping. Absolutely incredible. Yeah,
2: well, you know, just hanging out. There's tacos <laughs> and drinks. Uh, who's just a, a delightful person and a good friend and an amazing author of The Cold Forge, among other things. And we were talking a little bit about this, and he was saying it was interesting that Ripley, they're, they're, that her sort of agendered aspect is um, not really a strength, the fact that basically she was interchangeable with a man. Uh, and i I can totally see that, But at the same time, I do think part of what's so universally appealing about her is exactly what you were saying, that she sort of exists in this post-gender environment. I do disagree to a degree with you that, um, I I do think that her, her gender plays into it, but I think because she's so capable and powerful, it kind of gets stamped down quickly. Like, you know, she's called Snow White and aliens and, you know, um, she's called that by another woman. That's true. That's true. Right, right, and, and I think that's that's an important point as well, um, but I, I, I think a lot of it comes from the fact that there are so few romantic attachments going on in any of these films. I mean, there's Clemens, but other than that, there's, there's really very little, and there's like the sort of flirtation with Hicks, which I, I just absolutely love and I think is so innocent and, and perfect, um, but a lot of it has to do with this, the lack of sexuality, as you were saying, And I think it's really easy sometimes to use gender and sexuality as sort of interchangeable terms, but they really are separate, as you know, you know, as I know, many of our listeners know, I'm not, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here, but I think it's important to analyze her through different lenses. So from a gender standpoint, she is a woman, right? But she's not particularly feminine other than certain moments like her undressing scene when she's in the Narcissus and things like that, you know, I mean, in Alien 3, she's very masculinized from an outward sort of, um, a visible gender perspective, right? She's got a shaved head, she's wearing baggy clothes, she's dirty. Um, in Alien, she has her flight suit, so she kind of blends in, in that capacity, and in Aliens, you know, she has her hair cropped short, and she's in basically military fatigues, so there's not much of a chance to look at her, um, and really think about her, her gender identity, you know, or her, or her gender presentation, because, um, it's just not really fixated on very much right like there there's no scenes where for example she bends over to pick something up and everybody goes Ooh, look at that butt you know there's not there's not really the sort of objectio- objectifying aspect that i think can um serve to weaken a character sometimes right if 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 it becomes about in spite of all the odds of their gender they were able to persevere and triumph. I think the story changes to one that's very gender-specific. And I don't think that's the focus of these films, you know? Um, from a sexuality standpoint, it's also completely ignored, except, as I mentioned, for that flirtation with Hicks and for what happens with Clemens, which is, you know, not particularly romantic, but is certainly sexual. And uh, I, I think it's it's hard to to look at the miracle of Ripley and not identify the fact that she really could have been played by basically any gender presentation and any sexual identity and any combination you know within those two things i think that's that's fundamental to why she is so universal and also why uh perhaps as some people like you know alex white pointed out she is um not particularly gendered
0: hey ripley Hey, Ripley, I want to ask you a question.
1: If they find what they're looking for out there, that mean we get full shares? Don't worry, Parker. Yeah, you'll get whatever's coming to you. Look, I'm not going to do any more
0: work we get this straightened out.
1: Brett, you're guaranteed by law to get a share. What? Why don't you just fuck off? What? And what did you say, Rip? If you have any trouble, I'll be on the bridge. Son, bitch.
0: What's the matter? Hmm. Uh, see, here's the thing. I think that Ripley lacks the male gaze. Ripley is not directed by the male gaze, even though her directors have all been men. They have not approached, and the writing, like, okay, in terms of her, the genderless. You know, when Ripley was on paper for Alien, it could have been a male or a female, but then she was cast as female. There was a little bit of some sexual tension going on between her and and, and Dallas. You could see it. You could feel it. Um, so she was the Ripley at the end of Alien is a woman, is Ripley. I mean, I, I don't think that she was played as genderless. She was a woman. Um, and I what, I what I think is lacking is the classic male gaze, whereas, okay, we're going to depict a woman, but we're going to sexualize her just a little bit or oftentimes a lot. Uh, to kind of create the sexuality and gender. Um, and I really think that the writers and Ridley Scott, James Cameron, and David Fincher, and to some degree Jean-Pierre Jeunet, even though it was a different, different Ripley, stood back from that. Like, I, I, I think of Resurrection. There's the the character uh, played by Kim Flowers-Hillard, I think is her name. There's a scene in Resurrection, a yep. stupid scene, where you see these legs and... You hear this kind of moaning, and the camera pans over this these legs and this butt, and she's got a thong she's on. She's got a great ass, and she's her her, her legs are Michael Wincott. Yeah, her le- <laughs> love that ass. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs> and her her feet are being massaged, and she's very much sexualized. It's very much a male gaze, um, even from besides from at, from that point on after things. Go sour and go south. There's a scene where they have to go into the water, and everyone dives in, and you see Hillard, and she's about to cry, and she's all weepy. Um, and uh, then well, to be
2: fair, there was Lambert too. Yeah.
0: Well, I was just I was going to go into Lambert, but Lambert, there's difference because with Lambert, you see at the the first breakfast scene, or I think it was the I think it was the first breakfast scene where. Parker looks at her and he goes, I'd rather be eating something else, but right now I stick to food and she kind of laughs right. it off. But I don't think he's talking about her. He's just talking about what he'd rather be eating. He's not sexualizing her. He's just being honest. Um and-
2: Well, I am I'm talking more about how Lambert presents as more of what we think a woman would be because Why? You know, at least in terms of film, because she is she's playing the sort of damsel in distress role that a lot of the time women become relegated to. Um, at least in movies of that time period, and I don't still feel like degree, she was a damsel insane. in
0: distress. I think uh, Ram. Well, she was the token f- afraid one. Well, I think I think, mean, like, that's I, I think the Hudson. Character.
2: Hudson. I do love Lambert though. Don't get me wrong. I know. I know. I think Hudson, or Hudson Hur-
0: Hudson's the same way though. Hudson became is, right, the, right, right. not the dam- No, but but but,
2: uh, but I'm talking about Lambert specifically. I know. I, I, think I know. Lambert's function is, and also Hudson is also kind of an idiot, right? And he kind of overcomes that, and he overcomes his fearfulness. Lambert really doesn't ever get a chance to do that I mean she she sort of perseveres until her death and she dies a very horrible very sexualized death and it ends up being um, I don't know if
0: it's sexualized but I don't I don't read well, yeah we
2: we talked about this I, I don't I don't know I don't know how you could watch her death scene even though to be
0: fair it is Harry Dean Stanton you see a, you see a, a, a I, tail like, going around her foot. Why is that sexual? Just because it's it goes up her thigh. You do up her leg. No, we don't even see that much in the movie. Watch it again.
2: Yeah, boy. <laughs> no, it does. It goes. It goes up her leg. And she screams, and she looks like she's
0: being sexually predated. I don't, I don't. Mean, she has I don't, a look on her I don't face think so. of, of being molested. I think, she does. no, she does not. No, she doesn't. Yeah, she does. I think people bring that she to screams. it. She screams. I think people do that because it's a woman, and it's just, I, 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 I think. No, it's shot. It's male way. gaze. People, that is people, male people, gaze. I think that's people, male gaze. You mean my male gaze? Yes, absolutely. No, it is not. I it never is, thought that. Is, I don't Jamie, think
2: that. Jamie, listen, listen, well, listen, it is the. Most vulnerable character in the whole thing, who is the smallest character in terms of her stature, is a woman, and she's crying for about half of the movie. She's a nervous mess, and then she gets trapped in a dark room by this creature who creeps toward her like he's, you know, I mean, he's he's literally waving his hands in the air. Like he's, you know, gonna grope her. Yeah, like, hey, girl. No, he's like, he's like coming up to her, like, and I'm not complaining. This is like one of my favorite scenes in all the movies. I'm not I even know. saying anything's wrong with it, but I'm saying I don't think it's the male gaze that I'm bringing to it. I think it's the, it's shot deliberately to make us
0: sexually uncomfortable as much of the film. I think it is shot think, to make us uncomfortable, absolutely. No, sexually uncomfortable, because, because,
2: it's because they chose to use that shot of the tail creeping up the inside of her legs. And you want to tell me that's not sexual, having a fucking phallic dick tail <laughs> going up the side of somebody's legs?
0: I don't think the tail is necessarily phallic or dick-like. However, let me compare something. Do you think Milburn's death in Prometheus, where the thing goes down his throat, is sexual?
2: Um, I think, I think it was supposed to be.
0: I don't think so. Do you think yeah, when I, I the I engineer is. is taken over by that thing and that thing goes Twilight? down to his throat? Yes. Is that sexual?
2: I, again, no, but I think it's because it's shot clumsily. Yeah, not, but see, it, but see, you're making on. all
0: these concessions about, oh, no, no I don't think that, so. But Jamie, when no, there's a there's woman involved,
2: sex- no, I think when Kane, I think Kane's oval morph encounter is super sexual. Are you kidding me? I, I to, down to the fact that the the that's that the facehugger is is like is, is caressing his fa- his neck with its tail when it tightens it, and he's sweaty and he's in his fucking underwear, and it's pushed down his throat. It, I think that's
0: extremely. Say I don't and say, say that's sexual at all either. Now, of course, I do believe there is sexuality present in Alien. I think the idea of uh, of invaders, something, someone invading your space, invading your body, there is an element that is, uh, violently sexual about that absolutely and i think it's more of a feeling but i don't see those things whether it's milburn or lambert or the engineer or uh you know i don't see any of those things themselves as sexual i just don't view them that way now that doesn't mean that they aren't they could be that doesn't mean i'm right and you're wrong or you're wrong or you're right and i'm wrong i don't know i just i think uh we're kind of, to bring this back to Ripley, the idea that wait, Wait, she, wait,
2: wait, 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 wait. Don't bring it back to Hang on, hang on.
0: It was <laughs> written specifically
2: to be sexually uncomfortable for straight men in the audience. Like, Daniel Bannon was
0: very overt. I would that. agree with that. I would agree right? with that. But it wasn't- So- I don't think-, I think But you it, think it doesn't work? You but think But the I think scenes there's, there's a difference between violently sexual and, like, something that's sexual. But, because the the beginning of this conversation was- uh, the idea that Ripley's kind of disgendered or Ripley isn't. That's true. Right. She's kind of, it's almost, she's missing that a little bit. Um, so that's the origins of how we started this conversation. <laughs> I'm glad you're bringing it back for a second
2: before we go even further off the rails. But hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm not going to let you get out of this yet. Hang on.
0: So you were <laughs> you're
2: telling, so, all right, so go ahead. Let's get rid of Milburn because I just think it's, I, I, I think Prometheus is a mess. I think that there are things that are supposed like there's a reason why you and and I and Ryan couldn't stop laughing about the hammerpeed thing for like an hour when we were trying to record one night. It's because it's just it's just ridiculous in my opinion, and and to me it's like a clumsy way to re to recall this this sexualized violence from the first film, right? Yeah, well, I think for but it's most, just, it's a little dumb.
0: There's this fear, and you know, Obannon talked about it. This fear of of cisgendered straight men. Uh, being face raped, you know, being, you know, having a dick shoved down their throat. And yeah, part and of, the scene's written for that. Yeah, and p- certainly that's there. And
2: I think it works.
0: I think it works too. I'm also
2: a cisgendered straight man. A, you know, it, to,
0: to me, it scares the shit out of me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but I don't, and I agree that all of those things are inherently violently uh, sexual. Absolutely. They're, they're there to make us uncomfortable. I just disagree that that moment with Lambert. Is sexual and then to get back to Ripley, I also
2: okay, wait, 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 okay. Hang, hang on, hang on. Before we get back to Ripley, just just one last thing. Just picture everything that happens in that scene with a with Harvey Weinstein instead of the xenomorph. Oh okay. God. Okay? Just now, picture that. Okay? I, I, I'm gonna give this so to you. He's I'm gonna creeping give creeping out of the darkness, yeah, she's crying. Weinstein. Listen, she's crying Bill Cosby, she's crying <laughs> and fucking backing up against a wall, right? Saying, "Oh no! Oh no! Oh no!" Fucking terrified. J E L O. He, up. he oh God Jamie, I'm fucking say that. <laughs> it's so it's so messed up now, but listen. So so she's pushed up against the wall. He's crawling toward her, fucking waving his fingers around. Comes up to her as she's saying, "No, no," and then puts. We won't even say his dick. Okay, let's say it's his foot. His foot slowly and methodically on the inside of her fucking leg and pulls it up. You don't think that's supposed to
0: be sexual. Well, when we're talking about Harvey Weinstein or Bill Cosby, sure. In this situation, I think the scary part of it is what is this thing doing? I don't know. Wow. That's so interesting. I'm, I'm also, let
2: me be clear. I'm not saying that I think the alien rapes her. I don't, I don't subscribe to that theory and I'm not, I'm not saying that's what's going on. I'm not saying the alien is thinking of it sexually. I'm saying it's supposed to make
0: us feel sexually confused and scared. Perhaps, perhaps. And I, 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 I would agree with that, with that assessment for sure. Um, but I, I, we really need to get this back to Ripley because the discussion no, I was... Know, i, I is, fine. I'll let you go back. No, it's okay. The discussion was um, male gaze. And I think... The, we were talking about Lambert, and I, I don't think Lambert was a damsel in distress. I think she was just scared. No one needed to rescue Lambert. Um, but with Ripley, I don't think that Ripley was just kind of eviscerated, whether it's an alien, aliens, or Alien 3, of sexuality. I just don't I think it's it's it, it it goes beyond male gaze. And here's the part the, here's the difficult part of this argument um or this discussion this line of discussion. A lot of people want to say oh gender is this and gender is that and your your genitals don't make you your gender and blah 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 and blah blah blah. And then we di- there's this amazing character depicted objectively um performed incredibly and people have a part that she's people have a problem that she's not fully sexualized. Like, come on. Like, what do you, which, what do you want? Which part? I don't what? think anybody, I don't think anybody has a problem that she's not, se- you're talking about Ripley. Well, I mean, just if, if no, if, nobody if, says, if Alex that White se- thinks that she's not,
2: no, he's not talking about her sexuality. He's talking about her gender. That's what I'm saying. It's, right. So, so people who complain about that are not saying that she's not sexualized or that she's not feminine enough. It's that the story doesn't explore her experience as a woman in a way that feels unique to the character being a woman. Because, and I do think that's valid. I think that that's true. I don't think it's. valid. I'm not
0: saying... You don't think it's valid? No, because I think uh, at this point in the future of humanity, whenever Alien takes place, which is like 22, 21, 79, or whatever, um, which is interesting because that's when the movie came out. It was in 1979. Um, I think that uh, there's been a lot of movement past all that. I think people are people. And that's why you see... Men and women and aliens suiting up together in the locker rooms. It's past that, but I think we're still stuck in that. Oh, but she's a woman. Like, um, we need to kind of move past that. Not to say that we can't realize, okay, hey, so and so's a girl, so and so's a boy, and realize that there are differences and celebrate those differences. But I, I, I don't think Ripley is a human and she has strengths and weaknesses, fears and doubts joys and sorrows and that's how she, exactly how she was depicted what more do you want i mean that's what women experience that that's what men experience what more what more can we show of her that like like uh, what what more is there i don't understand i don't understand that that line of thinking she could have her boobs out a little more that's stupid <laughs> just kidding
2: <laughs> no you you know you know that i agree and, and alex white of all people agrees too that ripley is one of the if not the greatest character in cinema history, certainly right up there. And something that I love more about her than anything is the fact that she is so non-gender reliant, right? I'm just saying that I do think it's worth noting that part of why we don't talk about her gender very much is because gender really does not play into this movie in a in, in, a, in a way that is is very apparent. You know, and I'm not making any kind of a judgment call on that. I'm just simply noting the fact that, you know, the first film started with a script that was completely ambivalent on gender. And I think to its strength, it kept that going, you know? And I think that's part of why we got one of the first truly great female protagonists and a beacon um, of some feminist principles that I think are really important and I think uh, is a, a really progressive character in a lot of ways. But she was kind of slipped under the radar because... Her her femininity or her gender identity were not really discussed. Neither were her sexuality or or her who, whom she chose chose to uh, to be with. It was just never really played up very much.
1: Van Lewin, why don't you just check out LV-426? Because I don't have to.
0: There have been people there for over twenty years, and they never complained about any hostile organism. What do you mean
1: what people? Terraformers,
0: planet engineers. They go in, set up these big atmosphere processes to make the air breathable. Takes decades. It's what we call a shake and bake colony.
1: How many are there? How many colonists? I
0: don't know, 60, maybe 70 families. Do you mind?
2: I was thinking that we were watching Ghostbusters the other day because it's fucking love Ghostbusters. Although it's, I have to say, it plays very different now, post uh, Me Too movement. <laughs> Ghostbusters like is not. It's definitely from the eighties. I've That's been seen okay. that movie you know. in
0: like tw- twenty five years at least.
2: Yeah, I, I hadn't seen it in probably twelve years before we watched it the other day, and I was like, "Oh man, I don't remember this being this quite this awkward." But but that being said, it's still a great movie. You know, Sigourney Weaver is in that obviously as Dana. And. Um, The whole her inclusion in the movie is great because, you know, she starts off as kind of just this like eye candy 80s, you know, girl interest. Um, And she very quickly puts the kibosh on that because she's fucking Sigourney Weaver. And like, you know, nobody's going to make her, you know, go into a box of what they think that she should be. And because she's so strong and because she's so confident and has so much presence. That it's sort of impossible, I think, to think of her as the sort of stereotypical 80s female eye candy movie character, Uh you know? Uh Um, And and part of what's great about that movie is seeing her play against that and seeing that archetype kind of wash away as it progresses and she gets to really establish herself more strongly. But you look at Sigourney Weaver's career and she has never played a role like that that I can think of. She's always very empowered and very. So you're talking uh, about
0: Galaxy Quest, which is a comedy.
2: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't even remember that movie, unless like i She plays read like about this it. big
0: boob blonde. Uh, oh yeah, right, 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 right.
2: But even in a movie like Heartbreakers, right? Like or the whole thing is that she's using f- uh, femininity as a weapon, basically. To to it, it, I'm not saying that's a good movie, <laughs> but but even in a movie like that, where she's like specifically objectified. She uses that as sort of a, a sort of a weapon, and so I think part—it's impossible to talk about Alien and aliens and Alien Three and and Ripley as a character without talking about Sigourney Weaver as an actress. I wonder how it would have played if you had the exact same script with Alien, but you had, for example, uh, you know, say Jane Fonda play Ripley. True. Could you imagine that's true?
0: I, and I, you know, to your point, uh, in terms of like Lambert, I will say this is interesting. The most, the role that is identifiably a woman, Lambert, she's written as weepy, unsure, paralyzed. Um, she's so paralyzed that it's hard. I mean, Parker's like, "Come on, come on, come on!" Like. Um, but then in the beginning. Yeah, that's,
2: that's the damsel in distress thing that I'm saying. I, I might not have articulated it that well. But, yeah, I but mean, that's, that's what I'm getting I, I, at. Yeah, I don't know the, if I. The, the token, quote unquote, female yeah, character. Yes, in yes. It so the identifiable. Is completely. Yeah. Yes,
0: I agree. So the identifiable female character in Alien is stereotypical to some degree. However, I do think James Cameron met that with Hudson saying, hey, it ain't just men, you know. Or, yes, sorry, I, I it's not totally just women.
2: Agree. I would totally I agree. I, I would totally agree. But I, I do think it's worth just pointing out that the only really feminized character in alien is the one who, to my mind has the most overtly sexualized rapey death scene. I I'm sure that's intentional. Yeah. Okay. Whether or not it plays I, like I'll that. I'll kind of see you that.
0: Know. I will say this is something interesting and I know we're talking about Ripley, but I think we're also talking about gender politics in some degree to some degree. Oftentimes when you see clips of Lambert or images of Lambert posted through whether it's perfect organism or, or other pages or other groups. A lot of times people will say she's stupid. She's weak, blah 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 blah. All this criticism because she's not like Ripley. Like mm. I, like I would never act like that. She she was this, she was that. So much criticism. And I I come to the defense of Lambert quite a bit because I I couldn't say that I wouldn't be just as terrified as she was in that situation. Because the reality is if you are in a situation where you are, you are, you're, in this small interior space with this thing that is unknown, that it's clearly out to destroy you. What are you gonna do? And yeah. fear paralyzes you, and so you. I mean, have the people to- who
2: say this, I'm, I'm like, you really think that if you were stuck on a fucking spaceship with a creature you have never seen before who is murdering the shit out of everybody? Like you're not going to be crying and stressed out. I- I'm sorry. Like I think we all want to be Ripley. You know, we all want to be Dallas. We all want to go into the ventilation system. Like we all want to be that character. We all want to be Parker knocking off. You know, uh, Ash's head. I I I really think a lot of the people who criticize her for reacting that way would probably not be that heroic if sh- if the shit hit the fan personally. Yeah,
0: I I would absolutely agree. And I but I also think that um. I mean, have these people, I do that when I play fucking alien isolation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I,
2: I play alien isolation and I have like, my wife makes fun of me cause I have to stand up cause I don't want to sit down cause I don't want anything to creep up behind me. <laughs> so I move around and I fucking hum to myself to keep myself company, company in the darkness. And this is a game that I've already beaten that I'm replaying just for fun. Yeah. I know what happens. The lights are on and I'm so scared that I'm acting like an idiot. Can you imagine being in that real situation and having to deal with that?
1: Very bizarre. All right. Moving on to second position. What is it? Let's get out of here. We've got this far. We must go on. We have to go on.
0: I can't, I really, really can't. However, I, I, but my, the larger point I'm trying to make is that people seem to really criticize weakness. They criticize weakness in film. Like uh, they criticize weak people. And I think uh, to be able to be weak and sometimes oftentimes a lot of times people get hit by cars because they freeze um, in the middle of the street or all sorts of things. Accidents happen because people get, they parallel they, they they freeze up in very dangerous situations and the thing about Ripley is Ripley was terrified Ripley was scared Ripley was unsure she was all of those things Lambert was except Ripley just she had a little bit she had a little bit more together she might not even say as a character if she thought she had it together she just kind of barreled through and- but that's
2: why she's Ripley you know I mean that's the whole point of her character that's why she's the great heroine that we talk about and that's why she's not Lambert yeah You know, it's specifically because she is capable of making unbelievably brave decisions in the face of
0: incalculable danger, you know? Yeah. And to her character, or in regards to her, her character, there has not been any character like her since. There hasn't been. Whether they've tried Shaw with Prometheus or Daniels with Covenant or her another version of Ripley in Resurrection, there has not ever been another... Character like Ripley written, she is. But there's also it, there's also never been another Sigourney Weaver.
2: I I, I just want to throw. Well, that, out that there
0: was too. my next point. Yeah, I think the character of Ripley and Sigourney Weaver are inner... Inex, what What's the term I'm looking for? They are inextricably invalidity. Inext- invalidity. They are inextricably linked. You cannot have one without the other. They could not recast that role. They could not reboot Alien and recast Ripley. S- Ripley is Sigourney Weaver end of the story.
1: I think what attracted me to Ellen Ripley was that she, first of all, was a character that was written as a man. So it was written in a very straightforward way. This was a kind of direct person who didn't have these scenes where she was suddenly vulnerable and she didn't, you know, throw her hands up and and wait for someone else to save her. She was a thinking, moving, deciding creature. And um, I think that's the other thing that interested me was that she she went from someone who sort of believed that the world was a certain way to someone who couldn't believe in anything anymore um, and went from someone who's sort of a thinking person to someone who's kind of an instinctive animal. So there were lots of progressions in, in the character that I, that I just thought would be very interesting to play. Well, there is a certain amount of sexism in the film. The guys have pinups everywhere and, and, and being a, a woman officer, I get a certain amount of guff from the guys um, and I think that that is it's a very important element to show the workplace as a real place I think all the alien movies do that actually um, uh, they're not up in the clouds science fiction they're not cerebral they're very kinda of down and dirty and about survival and and really about who people are you find out who people are very quickly when you all have to face a common enemy and um, and it's true that, that you know, Ripley um, didn't react to a lot of these, this sexism or whatever. She kept her cool, and I think that was something that was that was uh, good for women to see. You know, that she she didn't depend on anyone else. She didn't whine. She didn't complain. She just did her job, and um, and in doing so, also tried to save other people. Um, and
2: Sigourney Weaver is is a unique presence on screen. She is. She is so strong yeah. and imposing, and and you don't— Although she's, I mean, obviously very capable of playing vulnerable as well. I mean, she has a tremendous range as an actress, but, like, you know, everybody has a default thing, you know? Like, everybody has sort of—when you, when you see somebody on screen, you assume things about them. When you see Sigourney Weaver on screen, she is so tall and so strong. Her voice is so— presentational. She's and, intimidating and resonant. She's intimidating, but she's also, she seems like she could handle it. You know, yep. she really does. Yep. And, um, and I, I think it's just impossible to talk about that character without talking about Sigourney Weaver specifically being the person playing her. And you go back to her audition where she wore those boots, you know? I mean, part of why she won, won the role is cause she went there as a fucking ass kicker. And, um, Right from the very beginning, like, she established her presence, even though she was a kid back yep. then, basically. Yep. Well, she, well um,
0: she, she was 29. She wasn't a kid, but...
2: Yeah, but, I mean, all things considered, in terms of her career, she was, you know, basically just out of school. Yeah. And, uh, and and right from the beginning, she sealed it, you know? And, of course, because she was playing that character and was so indelible in the role, right off from the beginning, all of the subsequent movies have tried to either copy that with other female leads, or they've... Reacted to it by writing Ripley's arc, which is exactly why I'm so anti-retconning Alien 3. Because to me, there's no way you get to Alien 3 without going through the two films before it with that actress playing that character in those situations, reacting the way that she did, and then dying. It It is a beginning, and it is an end, and it is profound, you know? Yeah. I would agree. I would agree. And, and and you want to pull that back and pretend like it didn't happen. I mean, I mean, we, we go through so much shit with Ripley and we see her get so tired and beaten down and come back again. And I feel like finally she gets to go to sleep. And now we're like, Oh, audiences aren't going to go unless they know, you know, the lead character. And so let's get her back. But I also want to levy that against people who write, for example, a character like Shaw or a character like Daniels who are very clearly supposed to be echoes of Ripley I think it's a terrible idea to keep doing that. I don't know why they can't have a male lead or why they can't have a trans lead or why they can't have anybody else. But, but why keep casting these these white women with pixie cuts who rise above the odds to be brave in dangerous situations and end the film, you know, with some sort of a, a firearm? That's, you know? that's, like, yeah, and that's always right? –
0: well, that's part of my contention, I think, with these Ridley Scott films are – is that a lot of people say, oh – you see in interviews and people are talking about Ridley Scott who are working with him. Oh, Ridley hates to repeat himself. He hates to repeat himself. That's all he's fucking doing is repeating himself or trying to. Um, so I don't, you know, we need to move on from Ripley. I would absolutely agree. Um, but I, I, there she is. And, and
2: and that's why I'm saying, like, like why why are people so pro blomkamp Camp? I, I don't get why we don't just get a new well, story. We've already been over this. People I, I are pro-Blomkamp because fixated. they're looking
0: for hope. They're looking for a leader. They're looking for something no, to believe. I Lincoln. just
2: I just don't yeah, but and then 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 well, all right, we, we've already done like four episodes on this so I, I know we can't, but I'm just saying like I think that Ripley is a completely indelible presence in cinema. And I think that that is because of the way she's written and because it's Sigourney Weaver specifically playing her. And because Sigourney Weaver presents in a lot of ways a lot of traits that we think of, and especially audiences of the 70s and 80s would think of as traditionally masculine in that she's tall, she's imposing, she has a low voice, she's strong. um, I think she has this miraculous quality to her where she feels like she transcends gender, right? And I feel like it would be a little dumb if she were more feminized, because I don't think that that's who Ripley is. And I don't think that's who Sigourney Weaver is as an actress. I I think that she does exist on a level where she does incorporate a lot of traits of what we associate with men and a lot of traits that we associate with women. And she's her own person. And because of that, we don't look at her as a stereotype. And because of that, we don't come to it with these preoccupations that we have. You know, even, I mean, for example, so Mad Max Fury Road, as we've, said many times is one of my absolute favorite movies. I'm not taking anything away from that movie. But I think you can't look at a character like Furiosa, who again is a fucking amazing character played brilliantly by Charlize Theron. You can't look at her as anything but a woman, right? Because she's running from a uniquely, well, I I can't say uniquely, but she's running from the, the female experience of having been this sex slave. I know that there are men who are in that position as well, but by and large, as an audience, we associate that with women, right? Being sold into sex slavery. And then she breaks out of it. Um, To my mind, that's something that is really interesting that plays on her gender identity and plays on her background as a woman. But it means that we're looking at that character as a woman. We're looking at that character as a woman who's had a journey from her subservience into her heroism with Ripley. We don't get that because we don't have this, this paradigm for her to be traditionally feminine or for her to be breaking out of traditionally feminine confines. We first find her on a freaking oil tanker basically in space, right? Like she is a, she is a trucker. She's wearing a jumpsuit. She's rough. She hangs out with the boys. She goes down to the sub deck and, and you know, shoots the shit and doesn't take any crap from, um, from Bretton Parker She's very clearly capable of just being, being quote-unquote, one of the guys, right? Yeah. And that's how we first see her as as basically a trucker, which is something we traditionally associate with masculinity, whether that's right or whether that's wrong. Um, and so because of that, there's no starting point for her where she's kind of coming out of some sort of femininity. What's a little problematic, I think, in Aliens, in the special edition, is that we get this backstory with Amanda, and for the first time we look at her as being... Uh, you know maternal and we look at her as being a woman and then that's what gets us to this last thing that I want to talk about which is that I think The bond that she makes with newt is a huge part of what makes her character so interesting and I do think that It's the first time that we really look at her as a woman in a real way in a, in a meaningful way And I think that part of what is so great about james cameron's writing Is that it allows us to embrace this sort of maternal element to this character in a way that feels very natural. And like, it's not making a statement. Like it's not trying to push a button or to make us be like, Oh, she's, she's a, she's a mother, but she's also a warrior. Like, Oh my God. You know, moms are warriors. I'm married to one, you know, I feel like, and I I feel like that's a really cool angle too, to explore.
0: Yeah. And I think Cameron really, he, um, kind of, you know, obviously Ripley is called by her last name. I, you know, in the special edition, Hicks says Ellen. You know, he calls her by her first name, which is, of course, a very female name. It's not. Uh, it's not like a. Uh, it's not a. Uh, what you, what what do you call that when a name can be either boy or girl?
2: Um. Invalidity? I don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a, t- there's a name for it when you can... Uh, when a, a name isn't uh, specifically male or female. They can like... Pat, it's like gender, Something like that. It's gender yeah. neutral. Gender neutral. Gender neutral. Her first name gender isn't neutral. Gen- gender neutral. But right. by the end of Aliens... It's not like Sam or something no, like that. No, yeah. By the end of Aliens... Or Jamie. Um, yeah, Jamie's gender neutral or for pat. sure. Yeah. Um, but by the end of Aliens, you see Newt running into... Ripley's arms and she goes mommy so Ripley is then completely addressed as something and only a woman can be and that is a mother Right, Um, and it's the
2: first time we get that
0: well uh, well not but I would say it's the first time we hear it the first time we see it is when Ripley and Newt are in the egg chamber with the queen and you have one woman there protecting her child and the other female creature trying to protect hers and so there's this and so you have this this you know this they're pitted against each other i mean not they are against each other ones you know you have humans and then you have aliens but it's really this setup for the the battle of the mothers and by the end you know and then even when ripley gets into that power loader she goes get away from her you bitch um calling this thing this female creature a bitch um it really becomes this this battle between female creatures and it uh so James Cameron is, you know, really as we've been talking about Aliens, and I've been thinking a lot about it, and what we're going to talk about, and going over our schedules or, or order of, of episodes, and I really, I think I've given Aliens a bad rap. Actually, I think I've blown Aliens off, even though I love the film. I think it's a masterpiece. It's one of the best sequels ever made after Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> and the Part 2. Well, I
2: mean, that's why we're doing this, right? Because yeah. we're finally looking at the movie like it's not just this thing that's always yeah. existed. It's a, it's something that was really written and made by people. Yeah, I, you think, know?
0: I think Aliens and is... And I totally agree. Yeah, I think Aliens is incredibly smart. It was so smart that I think I blew it off and have blown... Not blow it, blown it off, because I watch it all the time. I love it. Um, but I think I have not given it its proper credit. I don't think I've given James Cameron its proper credit. James Cameron created the Ripley that we all love. He yeah. did. And see, here's here's the thing. You know, we talk
2: a lot about sequel... I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. Were you no, go ahead. go ahead. We talk a lot about how how the sequels that work, sequels like Blade Runner 2049, sequels like Aliens, sequels like Godfather Part two. we talk about Empire Strikes Back. We talk about what's special about them and why they work. And a lot of it comes down, in my opinion to they go deeper and broader into things that were established in the first film and open up new worlds within them. And I think um, part of why Cameron is such a, a brilliant filmmaker and a, a, a brilliant writer. I mean, he's so talented at so many things that we forget that he fucking wrote this script too, you know? He didn't just do the, all the, the technological stuff. He didn't just do, like, the initial design of the queen on a sketchpad and all these things. He also fucking wrote it. Um as a as a thirty two year old or whatever thirty I don't remember how old he was in, in his thirties, um. Yeah, thirty three. I don't know. Anyway, my point being, which is my age right now, my point being that uh, he dug deeper into things in Alien that were left unexplored intentionally because alien is a very tight and taut movie and there wasn't time to get into backstory and things, but like, but you watch alien and you're aware the whole time that there is this dynamic of Ripley's a woman going on. Like you, you, you can't watch it and not at least somewhat know that, especially by the end when she takes her clothes off. Um, so there's that aspect to it, but it's not really harped on. And then in aliens that is allowed to very gradually emerge, you know? And by the same token, her heroism is allowed to gradually emerge because, as we've said many times, in Alien, she's not being heroic. She's being a survivalist. She's, she's enduring. So we can glean heroism from that because we can be inspired by her will to survive, which is a heroic thing in and of itself. But she wasn't doing that for anybody else. She wasn't doing that for a greater cause. Right? She was doing that so that she wouldn't die. Yeah. And Jones wouldn't die, right? But in Aliens, she has that same instinct. She's still the Ripley that we recognize, but she is able to sur- to save many, many, many lives of people who become dependent on her for their survival. And she goes above and beyond. And then, of course, by the end of the movie, she does it to one little girl, mm-hmm. right? And it's an act of heroism that, as you said beautifully, is something only a mother could do because she saves this girl to the point where this girl calls her mommy by the end of it. You know, this girl who had lost everything finds a new beginning and finds hope. And part of why that's, I think, one of the strongest parts of the whole trilogy is because it's this complete consummation of what this character has been. Everything gets added. You know, she becomes this whole composite character who now, by the end of Aliens, is a woman. She's celebrated for her, you know, ability to um, to empathize and to do, to do all these these, you know— i don't want to say stereotypically but these things that we associate with women that up until now she kind of hadn't been able to do right she's able to empathize and be maternal with newton to kind of draw her out of her silence she's able to um perform these sort of mama bear acts of courage by going back into the hive she faces down another female character and she wins in a battle over a little girl over a child and um I think that we see her emerge as a hero and emerge as a woman at the same time. And I would argue that that's completely intentional. So by the end of Aliens, we look at Ripley deeper and more broadly than we looked at her going into it. She was already an amazing character, and now she's blossomed into a fuller consummation of that. And that's fucking hard to pull off.
0: And what's really, really interesting and phenomenal about Alien 3 is that Ripley, by the end of Aliens, as we were discussing, she becomes mommy or to some degree she's identified as mommy she's she saved this woman as a mother herself as all of these things that these these characteristics that kind of kind of blossom in her that we see that make her who she is then all of those things then become a threat in Alien 3 her gender becomes a threat her presence mm. becomes a threat she is seen as it doesn't matter that there's someone here there's a woman in our midst she is a threat and sh- she's a threat to them spiritually psychologically but they're also a threat to her but and you don't even that scene in alien 3 where they're going to attempt you know they're attempting to rape her she is not backing down she's fighting like she she doesn't she doesn't like scream i mean she screams eventually when they finally get her over the banner banister um but up until that point um she's not giving in she's not like paralyzed in fear she you know she's she's witnessed worse than that and again the interesting thing is at least the alien isn't trying to like open up her legs and you know rape her the the humans in her that she's there with are trying to do that to her so there's this exchange of who's the real alien here is it ripley is it the men like who's the real who's right. the real threat and, and again, and that's why,
2: and, and, and right, and that's what I'm saying again about deepening and broadening, and that's why I think Alien 3 works so transcendently well for both of us, I think, is because we see Ripley uh, in in a fuller light than we've seen her before, and we see her femininity in a fuller light than we've seen it before, and we see her heroism in a fuller light than we saw it before.
0: And yeah. and. Alien 3, most of the film, before until she finds out she has one inside of her, is her grieving the loss of Newt. That's all it is. She's kind of like sort of given up. I mean, she then she goes, you know, she tries to say thank you to Dylan, and he kind of blows her off, and all she's thinking about is Newt and what she's lost in that scene where she sees Newt on the... On the, the, on the gurney. On the gurney. Uh, it's, it's really powerful, and I think it's a testament to who she is. And uh, to, we can wrap this up, but what I really want to also mention again, and I've said this before, but I can't say it enough. The idea that this fandom that we are a part of rallies around this character, that is a woman that is a mother that was a mother is a really special thing to see this boys club rally around Whipley and say, fuck yeah. And they have her back um, and they don't question her and they don't like Oh, you know, they don't kind of, pivot to the the stereotypical men criticizing a woman because she's kind of in a man's role and ripley kind of is in that role certainly in aliens she's assumed she's assumed command you know over from gorman um and she took you know she takes burke to task i mean she throws burke up against that wall and burke is this weak sniveling you know piece (laughs) of shit idiot Ripley owns him he owns him or she i'm calling her he she owns him um and it's 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 a phenomenal thing. And right I, to the wall. I love that scene with them. I love you know. I love the yeah, the shift in power and that we're like go for it, Ripley. Like it, it, it's really great. And to be a part of a fandom that honors that, that celebrates who she is as a character and who she is as a woman and who she is as a leader is is something that we will never see again. Ever, 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 and I don't know if you know when we see. Well, you know, I don't know if we'll, I don't know. If well, I, I just mean see. In, who knows? In, in the Alien series. I don't think we're ever going to see it again, unless they, you know, if say the alien aliens gets a a streaming series or whatever and they maybe the maybe it, it's with marines or whatever maybe the main marines a woman i suppose they could write her and so she's awesome so by the time the series is over we're like hell yeah we have so and so who who is as good as ripley it's possible but for now i you, you know posit, you never know you, you but you never i posit know. for now we will never see another ripley again
2: i think you i think you're right but i, I you know but you, you really you really never know i do though I know we're kind of wrapping this, but I do want to point out that I do think there's a valid thought there that the, one of the reasons why fandom has so universally rallied around this character, what one of the reasons um, why there's such universal acclamation for this person is probably due to the fact that she's not presented as being very feminine. I, I do think that it's worth pointing that out because I think if she were... That uh, there would be a different dynamic to fan appreciation of her, and I, I don't even know where I'm necessarily going with that. But what I guess what I'm thinking is, it's it's interesting, and I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's interesting that fandom is able is is universally united around a character who basically presents as, at least in, in the first two films, as um, almost almost genderless. Although that kind of changes as it goes on. I think it's just interesting.
0: Well, what's interesting though, too, though, is, and I know we're. We're just about to end this, but I want to make a couple of points. You have movies like Lara Croft with Angelina Jolie, and then it was com- re- recently rebooted with Alicia uh, Vikander. And you have so many films like the... the oh my God, um, there are so many movies where women are heroines, but they use their... butt bo- Like uh, Red Sparrow or Atomic Blonde, where they use... But I'm not even such- talking about
2: that. I'm not talking about... I'm, I'm, although you're right. I'm,
0: I, but what I'm but talking about but,
2: more... Okay.
0: Well, I just want to say, though, that they're framed right in the beginning as these voluptuous, badass blondes. They'll take their clothes off and fuck you and they'll kick your ass. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and I think that does a disservice. Can you believe they can still maneuver with tits like that? I know. I know. yeah. Um, Like, she can beat me up and fuck me at the same time. You know, yeah. like, oh, man, I hope she doesn't accidentally kiss me. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I can't fight with a boner. <laughs> um, yeah. So it kind of It's at the same time empowering and and unempowering them, in my opinion. Right, right. Because it's so prolific. What I'm I'm saying more
2: is not sexuality again. I want to get away from the sexuality thing because I think that's a separate conversation. In terms of gender and and our perceptions of gender, if Lambert had been the character who was at the center of the series and she had gone on to have such a marvelous arc like Ripley did and she was able to come from a place that started more stereotypically – cinematically feminine, as she does in Alien, and then by the end of Alien 3 becomes this sort of phoenix who has become bigger than her gender or bigger than her character and kind of a symbol for heroism and motherhood and all these different things, like Ripley does. I I really wonder how we would feel about it. I wonder how universal her belovedness in fandom would be. I think part of the reason why Ripley is beloved by everybody is because she is not what we think of when we think of quote-unquote female heroes in movies yeah I would agree. and again i'm not i'm not making a judgment call i'm just saying i do think that there, there's something
0: to but that. I, and, see i um, think to your point though there's a, a, pro- a bit of a problem i think that there is a difference between gender and sexuality but i feel like oftentimes for men who write these characters they don't know what that difference is so they're, if they're going to present them as a woman they're going to sexualize them you know, because, oh no, it, and they think, oh no, it's empowering them. They're see, they're using their sexuality to as, as power, which is complete misnomer, which completely eviscerates women of their power. It's like, oh no, take your clothes off, be sexy, it's powerful. No, it's objectifying to them, and I think it's hard to introduce, and I'm not saying it's hard for everybody, but I think for the writers who aren't good uh, or who aren't great, to introduce women and have kind of open introduce them as women without that being sexual i think
2: but see but but see but that's that's sort of the problem is that like why is it that we can't universally accept a character who is more traditionally feminine with such universal acclaim as we accept a character like Ripley in fandom you know uh because like, i think
0: people perceive women as weak and so when they see women being weak they think oh no this is a this is a a power she see. she's not crying and that's the thing too ripley cried ripley had a hard time ripley woke up in you know her sweats and she was crying and she was she was upset you know and then alien 3 she's seeing nude on the slab and she's crying i mean ripley did does all of those things that women are accused of doing and i think that's that's a part of the problem women are viewed as and continue to be viewed as the weaker sex and oftentimes men think a strong woman is a woman who doesn't do any of those things and that's also a misnomer and i think ripley balances all that because she does all of those things she is scared she does cry she uh, is vulnerable. you're right she,
2: she's not she's not a monolith. you, you are right. I, I should walk back a little bit. You're right. She does do some things that are feminine in the, in the at least in terms of how we think of feminism fe- femininity in the context of the series. So she's not agendered but uh, but I, I just I, I just do think it's worth pointing that out. Look those two specimens are worth millions to the bioweapons division, right Now if you're smart, we can both come out of this heroes and we will be set up for life.
1: You're crazy, Burke. Do you know that? Do you really think you can get a dangerous organism like that past ICC quarantine?
2: How can they impound it if they don't know about it?
1: But they will know better, Burke, for me. Just like they'll know that you were responsible for the deaths of 157 colonists. Wait a second. You sent them to that ship. You're wrong. I just checked the colony log. Directive dated 61279, signed Burke Carter J. You sent them out there, and you didn't even warn them. Why didn't you warn them, Burke? Okay, look. What if that ship didn't even exist? Did you ever think about that? I didn't know. So now if I
2: went and made a major security situation out of it, everybody steps in. Administration steps in, and there's no exclusive rights for anybody. Nobody wins. So I made a decision, and it was wrong. It was a bad call, Ripley. It was a bad
1: call. Bad call? Right. These people are dead, Burke! Don't you have any idea what you've done here? Well, I'm going to make sure that they nail you right to the wall for this. You're not going to sleaze your way out of this one. Right to the wall.
2: Before we wrap, though, I, I want to, you know, we I posed a question on Building Better Worlds earlier today about what makes Ripley so indelible. And we got a couple responses we can just kind of share quickly, and then we can maybe call it. Sure. We'll come Let's back hear. to that. Obviously, we're, we're, we are not done talking about Ripley. And also, you know, we talk a lot about, about especially gender um, vis-a-vis Blade Runner on our other podcast. It's something that we don't really talk about with Alien, and I think it's worth engaging on. I think it's worth having—I think it's worth wrestling with our own thoughts on this because, you know— as a kid, I did not think of Ripley as a woman. I I didn't I didn't really have a reason to. Like she was just my hero and somebody that I really loved. Yes. And I, I, I her the fact that she was a woman wasn't a thing I thought about. Like when, when I was on the playground as a kid at recess, well for one thing, I was never actually playing at recess because I was always in trouble, but when I was allowed to play Uh, I was always Ripley. No matter what game, you know, we were playing Power Rangers. I was fucking Ripley doing a Power Rangers crossover. We played something else. I was Ripley. And, you know, um, as I got older, you know, while we were still doing recess games, there was some point in there where I switched to being Hicks. And I don't know when it was, but at some point I became aware of the fact that it was atypical for me to be a female character. And it's something that I hadn't thought of until sort of later. So I, I think it's worth just sort of unpacking, and we'll come back to it why that is and why our, our feelings on Ripley are so complicated and what they say about us. And um, obviously it's a it's a big topic, but... Um, yeah.
0: You want to go, go to those comments quick? Yeah, and then I'll make one more comment after we're, we're done reading. And then Ooh. we can okay. I, I was just thinking about something, but...
2: Okay, good. Well, well, write it down. I don't need to. Bookmark it. Write it down. I don't need to. You're not going to write it? You're going to post a note?
0: No, I, I don't need to write it down. I rem- I'll remember when you're done. Oh, look at you being all
2: organized. Okay, well, here we go. So... So uh, our good friend Michael, who, whom you all know, Michael McCulloch, says uh, he can't— So the question was, why is Ripley so indelible? And he says, I can't answer this. I'm too emotionally attached, <laughs> which which is true. Uh, Michael actually wrote a really great piece on our site a while ago about Ripley. Um, you guys should read that if, when you get a chance. Um, Sean Hewitt, who we just made that announcement about, he says— um, There was constant evolution to her character, including an evolution on her personality and story. The progression of her story meant we were really invested in her. In Alien, she showed determination and bravery. In Aliens, we get the family narrative and going back to face the demon. By Alien 3, she was the same, yet an understandably different Ripley. There hasn't been a character which hasn't seemed so forced, yet we've cared about and feel like we've been on a journey with, quite like her. And I think that's, uh, Basically, what we're talking about, I totally agree. Um, Maziar Beb says it's the evolution of her arc over the whole story in a chemistry with lead and supporting actors. And then Hector Ronas says, and I, I think he means in terms of movies for this, but he says the first real feminist, um, which obviously I, I don't, I don't think we necessarily would, would agree with that. But I do think, obviously, as a as a pioneering woman hero, obviously she played into that quite a bit
0: and for the record feminist for that triggers anybody feminism really is equal treatment for women that's all it is and i would say uh in that regard it's true for ripley yes totally
2: yeah i i I do although i i I guess what what i'm saying isn't necessarily true is she's the first i think that there are some before her in cinema but i do think that in in a way she was the the most prominent early female sort of action star but that's another thing we'll talk about um and uh and then Maziar Beb follows up on Hector's comment and says that he uh, appreciated that the, that her femininity wasn't forced down um our throats which I, I guess you know again i don't know what that means though that I don't know mean? what that means either I, I i think but but i think this this, this sort of getting of what i'm saying which is i think part of why she's so universally accepted is because she's not presented as being too feminine and i think it's easier for people who have issues with that to um like her I'm trying not to not to be judgmental, but I think um, there's a reason why a lot of, you know, like, for example, I I think there's a lot of reasons why the Ghostbusters reboot was such an incredibly horrible experience from a PR perspective in terms of just like genuine tweet terrorism going on against the cast yeah and just this complete nightmare. And I I think obviously there's a huge intersectionality going on here, right? Because it was taking a beloved franchise and recasting it. So it's changing things. It happened uh, right around the 2016 election, which was not the most uh, placid time in global popular culture. I think that there there were a lot of things playing there, but I do think that some people's issues with that came from the fact that they felt like like the femininity of these characters was being pushed down their throats. I don't think that's true. I, I just for the record, really disagree with that. But I do think that's part of the issue people have. I think it's part of the issue people have with Rose. From Last Jedi, which, again, I think is is crazy, but I understand. I get it. Some people are uncomfortable with women having um, roles that could have otherwise gone to men, and maybe they have problems with it. But that's a separate conversation.
0: Here's a couple things I want to end with, um, and just in in contrast to Ripley and kind of what was going on at the time um, on TV for kids and uh, in movies. So Star Wars, you have uh a new hope which was not titled a new hope when it came out it was given that title later on when they realized they wanted to go on and you have this character of of Leia Leia Organa played by Carrie Fisher amazing and when you meet her she is not some damsel in distress i mean they 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 swoop in like robin hood like let's rescue this girl let's rescue this princess right right and she's might have the title princess but she's no typical princess and she right and and is sassy it's, it's and important she's bossy. to note
2: that like the first that, that the the primary characters in the film hear of her, she's literally a damsel in distress saying, help me, you're my only hope, you know, which is obviously set up deliberately to set up an expectation in the audience yeah, that is yeah. then like totally she's trounced. She's waiting and in fear. And, yeah.
0: And, and yeah. Right. But when they meet her, they realize, oh boy, like even in Luke's eyes, you can say, oh, this isn't what we bargained for. Right, she's, right. she's she's a leader. She's strong. Uh, she has a lot in common with Ripley. I mean, she's not, Ripley's not sassy like that. Um, she's got a little sass to her. Um, but Leia is really an unstoppable force by Empire Strikes Back. They put the brakes on that. Leia is always seeming to be in this bad mood. She doesn't, she seems to be just upset and pissy and um, they started eviscerating her by return of the Jedi. She's uh, uh what do you call it? Uh, essentially or an ornament on this big fat, nasty thing. She's, most of her clothes are taken from her, and that's the Leia people remember. When you go to Comic-Cons, that's how people are dressed up as Leia. That's changing a little bit now, just because...
2: I do they're... I do think that's changing. I haven't seen the bikini in a while.
0: No, I. Comic-Con. but yeah, it is changing. It's actually, it's changing, number one, because Carrie Fisher, before her death, talked about that. Saying, you know... Right. And she talked about, you know, they put me in this metal suit, and that's what people remember me for. And she kind of joked about it, saying people had great, you know, little boys had fantasies about me in that, with that as that character and all of these things. But instead of continuing to make uh, the character of Leia, this powerful, strong person by return of the Jedi, aside from the bikini, she had nothing to do with that movie. She just went along for the ride. She had nothing to do. She was not the leader that we met in the beginning. She did not have the focus. She did not have the, the, the wherewithal. She was just kind of tagging along for the ride. She was essentially not as bad, of course, but she, in many ways, she was what I don't like about Ripley and Alien Resurrection. She had nothing to do, and these are men writing these characters, so it's it almost true. it's. And then concurrently, you have He-Man on TV, the the cartoon. The figures were made before the cartoon was made. I have the power. <laughs> yes, and He-Man was this big, bulky, stereotypical blonde bob cut. Or bowl cuts. I don't. I don't you know, know. I
2: don't. I don't think his haircut was stereotypical. I, I think everything else was. But why does he have this fucking haircut from like a nineteen seventies yeah. like Dutch chocolate company ever I I've don't, never understood that. Know.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, but so He-Man was going on for a long time. But then the producers behind He-Man wanted to essentially have a female counterpart. So they create this character that I actually love, She-Ra. She-Ra. Um, yeah. But course, granted, He-Man's not wearing much clothes, but no one sexualizes that. <laughs> right. But She-Ra had the shortest skirt possible, big boobs, low-cut top, um and I just watched this documentary about He-Man and just kinda everything, kind of the history behind the show and Shira. That uh, return to Castle Grayskull? something like that. I think that might yeah. be. Um, and the the women behind some of the writing and some of the, the direction of She-Ra said that they wanted they didn't want that the direction that they received for She-Ra was they didn't want She-Ra to actually use her sword. They didn't want her to do anything to the other characters. They wanted her to just twirl around and do these moves and then <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Um right. so you have these so you have these men in place writing these characters, and I think George Lucas really was spot on with um, with Leia in the beginning, but when he relinquished control of that and you had different writers come in they relegated Leia to this kind of subs not subservient but these kind this kind of back character you know I don't even really remember Leia too much in in Return of the Jedi so I'm saying all this to say that Ripley as a character was revolutionary that that's not how men were writing these characters um men were writing characters you know men were really kind of pushing women to the sidelines where they always have been in movies there are either the damsel in distress the femme fatale you know the sexy killer um or like jessica rabbit um but ripley as portrayed by sigourney weaver kind of toppled all of that and it and she, right. and she still toppled all that
2: right and, although remember that that a new hope did did predate alien so it you know, did there, there it did. were definitely characters before that
0: yeah and um, it did but what i'm saying is by the time uh empire came out in 80 um of course alien had been released they started putting leia on the back burner so it, they kind of like mm-hmm. started to pivot back to these like let's you know leia isn't even i mean she's in empire but she's again she's always pissy she's not in a good mood she's kind but to, of But being... to be
2: fair that everybody in empire is pissy and in a bad mood
0: <laughs> it's, Yeah it's but she movie. was such a strong But she wasn't objectified in that I, I, I mean, don't think uh, she was objectified I think you're right uh, part of
2: why empire is such a brilliant movie empire is the best star wars movie to me by by quite a bit I think part of why it's so brilliant is because it is a crisis of faith for all the characters and they're all in these kind of I mean look at Luke in empire strikes back he's I mean he's despondent for most of it, you know? Yeah. I I think that there's something to be said for that. And also don't forget in return of the Jedi, Leia gets captured because she's doing something heroic. I mean, I mean, she does, you know, she has glimmers of that, but I, on the whole, I completely agree with you that her character is basically neutered as it goes on and becomes less, um, becomes more feminine and less heroic. And I think that there's, um, traditionally feminine and less heroic, which is obviously really problematic, but, um, It's just it's a really interesting conversation, you know, and I think that we're obviously going to have to have to come back to this at some point.
0: It highlights for me the integrity that Ripley and the writers behind Ripley kept on from Alien to Aliens to Alien 3. They kept they kept that standard to her. They kept her away from the stereotypes. They kept her from being neutered. Um, The story was about her as a mother, as a character, as a leader. And yes, as a woman. Um, but then we look were,
2: at resurrection. Like look at resurrection. Part of why it sucks so much for in terms of character development is because it's the first one to ruin that trajectory that yeah, we were talking totally, about, right? Totally. Where instead of going deeper and broader into Ripley, we get nothing. We we get this complete like she's no, she's nothing, and yeah. and she is objectified quite a lot in it. Not just in her outfit, which is like skin tight, but but also in terms of like you know. She's like Ron Perlman's constantly calling her hot and like yeah. everybody's kind of like talking about that. Yeah. And she's like licking everybody and
0: being kind of sexual with uh, like, the who alien I, stuff. Yeah. She goes, Who do I who do have to get off fuck? to get off this boat? Or who do I have to fuck to get off this boat? Right. Like, really base, like stupid. I mean, it's Joss Whedon, so of course it is, but... Right. Um,
2: but, but, but that's what I'm saying. It's, it's just the character is completely pulled back from, and I really think that if you're going to do a direct, linear sequel to something, you have to go broader and deeper into it. You have to double down on those characters. Yeah. You know, in 2049, every one of the main characters who survives from the events of the first film is seen in, in much more vivid detail because they're written down into, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like there's a tunnel that was set up, and we're fucking driving through yeah. it. To the destination. Can you With imagine resurrection?
0: The tunnel just breaks. Yeah. Can you imagine though, in, if resurrection was well made, and you have moments or sequences of Ripley eight in a cell or wherever she is, having these memories of this past life and thinking, who is this woman? And she's goes into maybe a database and she's reading about her. She's reading more about her and she's has has these flashes of memory. She's trying to reconcile who this woman is. And was inside of her that she now looks like, um, right? And she,
2: she becomes like. haunted by that, and, and, yeah. and you get to ha- explore identity, which yeah, you but don't they didn't get care. They didn't care about no, because yeah, yeah. they didn't know what story they were telling. It would have been so. I, I think about that exact same thing sometimes. I'm like, how interesting would it have been if Ripley Eight had been actually Ripley Eight and not just Ripley, but a dumb version of her, yeah, right? Yeah. If Ripley Eight had really been a character from the beginning to the end, and not just a, not just a new character because she was a clone that like had somewhat hot blood and strength, but an actual character that had totally different motivations and a totally different existential crisis going on.
0: Yeah. Who totally was being
2: right. flashed hit with, with memories of a past that she didn't experience and is confused and running from it and makes non Ellen Ripley decisions because she's not Ellen Ripley. Yeah. Right. She is a spliced organism and have her um be really vulnerable and really afraid And have to transcend that and have to, like, find out who she is so that by the end of the movie when – because, see, the thing is, is, like, at the end of the movie when Ripley 8 says, I don't know, I'm a stranger here myself, it doesn't work because it's not Ellen Ripley saying that, you know? And the whole movie we've been told over and over again that it's not really her. And then Joss Whedon puts this dumb line in the end of the movie that's supposed to make us all like, oh, it's so nostalgic. Like Ripley's going home. But it's not Ripley, it's a
0: clone. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's not the same character. But but I think he forgot that. It's confusing though too because uh, one of the characters in the film was like, Ellen Ripley died trying to wipe the species out. I'm not I'm not anxious to see her taking up her old hobbies. This isn't that Ellen Ripley. This is not that same one. So they kind of what who is she? Um, but they didn't. But again, I feel like
2: they didn't know that. It's like they forgot by the end of the movie that that was the case. Yeah. Well, you know? yeah. Uh, of
0: course it's, it's it's shit. It's shit. So It'll be shit. So,
2: so so that's what's. It's not it's not total shit, but there's huge shit going on. 98 to me, that shit. is the main thing. And so here's what I'm saying with Blomkamp. I know that we got to stop. But if if Blomkamp makes a movie and it does not somehow perform a fucking miracle again the way Cameron scripted, and it is not an absolute towering achievement that somehow gives us a Ripley that feels indelible and feels important and feels real and feels unforgettable, then it is a fucking enormous mistake because there is no going back after that. If you give us another resurrection and and that character isn't even justifiable as being a clone, it's actual Ellen Ripley, and on top of that you fucked up the events of the continuity that we've been depending on this whole time, then you have performed a huge tragedy for fandom. And people keep saying things like, well, they retconned Terminator. Yeah, look how that worked out for Terminator. Oh, yeah, look you know, how that worked right? out for Terminator. I agree. Do- I'm with it you. It doesn't make sense. If, if you, if you want to, like, what are they going to do in 20 years? They're going to go, oh, Luke didn't die at the end of Last Jedi. You know, it was just, a, he just, like, passed out for a minute. Let's go back to movies and make a new fucking storyline because we want to get Luke back because people know who he is and they'll get in the seats again. It's a terrible idea. And I think it's so not, it's so anathema what alien is about yeah which is being difficult and being interesting and yeah. being brave and, and telling a hard story and telling and and hard right? making, the, and making hard decisions us, for sure scaring
0: us i'm with you and
2: that's why i say give us a new fucking story and if blomkamp wants to direct it and he has a script that's worth believing in then let him do it but don't fuck with ripley because we got a miracle once and it's not going to happen again yeah
0: yeah well i'm interested to hear feedback uh, from all of you guys listening what you think we're gonna talk about that on our next episode mm-hmm. uh, uh, write as much as you'd like I think uh, it's it's gonna it's a very interesting topic to hear from other essentially uh, certainly I want to hear from women to hear how they perceive Ripley um, but I would love to hear from men and how if the if her gender her sexuality her motherhood is something we even talk about what do you think about when you think about Ripley um, so yeah. please write in or give us a call
2: well, I, I specifically would would really, really love to hear your voices on this. So if if you do want to participate in this conversation, obviously if you want to just write, you know, do that too, but please call that number in the show notes or send. Nobody's going to pick it up. It's just a voicemail box. We're not going to like you know rope you into having a conversation about it. Just leave a message or send a voice memo which is really easy to do with a smartphone, to, to perfectorganismpodcast at gmail.com and let us hear your voice talking about it because I think it's really easy to hide behind anonymity to a degree on the internet, right? Yeah. And and as we're sitting here talking about this, I am finding myself having a hard time articulating it. I'm, I'm finding myself being afraid of saying something wrong or of saying something dumb, you know, because this is such a sensitive and important topic. And I, I really think that it's worth doing the hard thing and putting your voice to it and putting your name to it and expressing your actual opinion so that we can talk about it with you human to human and uh and investigate how this miracle happened
0: and what it says about us amen thanks for listening everyone and we will talk to you next time